This is the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less. Ever wish you could re-listen to your favorite interview or segment? Do you enjoy hearing older shows for the first time in years? Then the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less is just what you need. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less. Today's show is being brought to you by Crawford's Barbecue Pit Products. Check out their complete line of awesome barbecue products over at CrawfordsBBQ.com. Today's show was pulled from December the 8th, 2010. Carrie Oliver is in. Carrie was a semi-recurring guest once upon a time. She was into this artisan beef thing way before it was cool. Second segment today is the unofficial color commentator of the Barbecue Central show, Mr. John Dawson, the patio daddio himself. He will be in talking recipe development. Let's get to it. Here is Greg and Carrie Oliver from December the 8th, 2010. Joining me now, and everybody can probably hear me now, to talk some uh, KCBS judging class as well as some artisan beef is friend of the show, Carrie Oliver. There's the proper introduction. Carrie, thanks for coming back on the show tonight. How are you? Uh, doing great, and I'm really excited to be here. All right, Carrie, so let's go ahead and jump into this first, uh, make sure we allot enough time. You know, there's been a lot of talk, and I've talked to a number of competition barbecuers, and these are the guys that are actually out there competing, not necessarily the judges. And I get into conversations with them, and they're like, you know, it seems when I go to this place, judges are liking my stuff, but when I go to this state or that state, I'm not doing as well. So I thought, you know, what a better way to kind of get into the mind of a judge than talk to somebody who has recently been through the judging class. And I remember seeing on Twitter that you are now officially a KCBS judge. So uh, first of all, what kind of inspired you to get certified as a, as a judge for the KCBS? Well, <clears throat> I don't know why anybody would not want to be certified, but I, I just love the barbecue community and I really would like to learn more about it myself. I think if people remember from you know the past talks we've had, I, I, I'm a griller. I'm not a barbecuer, so I want to learn. And I thought, well, what better way to see what makes for great barbecue and, more, more importantly, a champion than to be a judge? Um, I guess it, I judge meat for a living, but more on a grilling basis. And so I'm trying to learn also what meat makes the best barbecue and is just different than it is with grilling and roasting. All right, so where did you actually take your certification class at? In Brockport, New York. Driving Rockport, okay. where I live. So you're like well east of where you're usually from. You're like uh, British Columbia and, and West Coast, right? Well, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area, and I live in Toronto. So actually, it was, it's not a bad drive from Toronto. It's about a four-hour drive. All right. So uh, you, get, uh, you get to go out there. You're going to take the class. Now, as you're going through the class, how do they set it up to you as a participant? What are they going to go over? How long does the class take? And what is the cost to you? Well, so I don't have some of my notes in front of me. The cost was quite inexpensive. It may have been 50 to $75. And the class was a couple of hours long. And um, it was going through what are, the, what are the rules and regulations of the Kansas City Barbecue Society, um, uh, why they matter. And then we went through a pretty extensive tasting of the four categories of food. And uh, during that tasting, we were able to share our votes with the with the rest of the group and sort of try to help calibrate 
uh, where we were compared to other people in the room. So how does that actually work? Because I have to imagine, I mean, everybody's palate is different. And the goal, at least in my eyes of KCBS, is to provide kind of that consistent platform, no matter where you are in the country, if you participate, if you show up and pay that entry fee, that you're going to get the most consistent judging palates versus any other sanctioning body. So how are they able to pass along what you should be looking for in taste, in tenderness, and texture to make it as, well, hopefully as consistent as it would be in San Francisco to the Midwest and then out to the East Coast? Well, that's a, that's a really good question because I thought about the same thing as I do my, my beef tastings or my chicken tastings. And you made that point that people do have different uh, different taste buds and palates. So I, I think what, what they're really trying to do is, is set sort of a level playing field, which is that despite the fact that you may not like ribs without sauce, it doesn't matter because just because what you like is ribs with sauce, if somebody turns in ribs without sauce, you need to look at that objectively. And so I, I think they do a good job in trying to help you consider the various factors in, as objectively as is possible. And I, I know that's a, a challenge for me that I've had. I know what my preference is, for instance, with steaks, and it's quite different than what somebody else uh, likes. But I'm able to say what's a good steak and not a good steak, even if it's not my personal preference. So as you kind of look over the class, were there people that were vocal about, man, I know barbecue and, you know, I'm just here to kind of show what I know versus what I'm going to be taught or were people fairly open? Uh, Or perhaps a better question is, did you feel that within a certain percentage of the people that were there for the class, that they were already putting up some type of personal preference against what the KCBS was trying to teach you to be a Kansas City Barbecue Society certified judge? I did not see that at all. Um, so, I, you know, it's only just one class. I can't speak for the other ones. But uh, I think people were there with an open mind. I uh, was sitting next to uh, some people who are uh, on the competitive barbecue circuit themselves or want to be in it. And there are people like me who you know, are, are there just trying to learn how, how the meat tastes. Um, one thing I will say, just kind of as an aside, it's a great place for single women. <laughs> the class was, <laughs> it was all men. I'm thinking, wow, I bet I have some single friends who would like to come to this. Um, a lot of meat there, right, Carrie? <laughs> a lot of meat there. <laughs> That's right. Um, but no, I, I didn't get any bias. I, 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 you know, a couple of times where we were scare, um, sharing our, our scores, my scores were different than others. And, and that was that was interesting, and a lot of the I would say the hardest criteria amongst the three is texture. I think that's where people have really distinct differences of opinion about what makes for a great texture. And uh, I, I would like to personally go to you know and be a judge, especially with some experienced judges, in some competitions, so I can sort of learn what the expectation is. But that 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 to me is the part that's hardest for people to be objective about. Some people so like soft you... meat. Some people like chew. Yeah, I mean, so as you look back, I mean, how are they, I guess, ob- ob- trying to objectively teach you how to factor in how you're going to score each category that they do score on the KCBS uh, circuit? Well, <laughs> we ate a lot of meat. <laughs> and uh, um, I-, I really do think that the way that, you know, going through the, the different, cr- it's-, it's hard to describe texture without eating it. Um, and seeing where other people are sort of are feeling about texture or appearance or about, about the uh, about the flavor itself, so I, I I guess I would say a lot of practice. I mean, it was just one tasting, but you know I didn't have to eat for the next two days. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of meat that you go through, 
and um, and they do a good job in showing you a, a, a range of, of, you know, some of them were much better than others. I, I don't think any of them were outstanding. I mean, they were sitting in cool boxes for quite some time during the, uh, during the class. Um, but uh, we got a good variety. One of the things that I wonder, Carrie, is when you're in this class, do they make specific mention or do they perhaps try and steer away from quote-unquote, the successful flavor profiles. Because when I talk to these competition teams, one of the things that I'm always mentioning is, you know, you see the teams that are winning, they're putting on classes. You have the teams that are just getting in, want to ramp up as quickly as possible. So they're taking one of the winning team's classes, and then they're taking what they learned in that class, immediately applying to what they're uh, going to be at as far as the next competition. And it seems to be almost like this vanilling of flavor profile. So how do they cover cool. that, or how do they tell you to not, like look for a certain team's profile when you're judging. Wow, um, that's a. I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't know. I mean, <laughs> uh, what I remember from the from the, the conversation about the rules and regulations was looking for making sure that you know that nobody was marking me. That there was no signature that would give you from a visual cue perspective whose meat it was. So to trying to make it double blind, I thought you know that that goes a long ways towards, um, you know, neutralizing some of those types of, um, I was going to say, when I taste beef, uh, you know, if I know who the farm is, I have a particular bias that goes in, and so I always try to set it up so I have no idea what I'm tasting. So I think that's probably the best best methodology for that, but but tell me a bit more about, about what you're hearing from people, and, and, and do you think that is, there is a skew that's sort of developing, or? Well, I think because there is, I mean... You know, you have the teams out there. I'm not saying it's a cash grab by any stretch of the imagination, but look, I mean, if you have the ability to make revenue, profit is not a dirty word to me. I'm a businessman, of course. So if you can put on, if you have a winning team that is putting on a class, and I'm a participant taking that class, if they're winning and they're showing everything that they're using, why wouldn't I just go ahead and take everything that they're using and the procedures that they're doing? Obviously, there's going to be some type of disconnect because maybe I haven't cooked like that all the time. But uh, I guess the popular thought recently is if I can replicate what's winning, it's going to be a better chance at least winning a category, recouping some type of money in order to make up for that expense that I'm laying out for a weekend. I do remember, Ken, actually giving some examples of how patterns have changed over time. So that different, I'm going to say the word style, I'm not really sure that's the right word, but for instance, uh, uh, gosh, I know we get a great, he gave a great example of pulled pork or something and the way it was actually served. And then everybody started doing that. And so you have to keep innovating in order to continually be ahead of the curve. So I would, I would expect personally just to see that happen if people did start, uh, you know, gravitating around the same flavor profile and textures in presentations, then I, I, if I were a competitor, I'd be looking to do something different uh, in order to win and break through that pack. To put in your request for a future show, please contact John Solberg via email at john, J-O-N, at the bbqcentralshow.com. Hey, before we get into the second segment, let me take a minute to tell you about Crawford's Barbecue Pit Spritz. Pit Spritz is all natural and gluten-free. Pit Spritz keeps your meat super moist during the cooking process. The peach pit spritz adds an amazing sweet peach taste to your barbecue. It's great on all meats and it does exceptionally well on pork. All you need to do is screw the included trigger sprayer onto the 16 ounce bottle and you're ready to go. Get all the details on Crawford's pit spritz. Head on over to CrawfordsBBQ.com 
Be sure you use the coupon code GREG at checkout. You will save 10% off your entire order. That's GREG, G-R-E-G. Race over to the hotline. Show, a premier venerable food blogger and a frequent contributor to the show, John Dawson. Uh, uh, John, how are you tonight, buddy? I am fine, Greg. Long time no talk. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. John, at least we're talking tonight from two cities that realize in utter, utter truth and reality that we will not be playing BCS bowl games. <laughs> for, I mean, for the championship. I mean, we'll be playing BCS, but we're not playing for the championship. I have no idea what you're talking about, but anyway. Of course. Forget about that. <laughs> so, uh, again, John Dawson is the creator of PatioDaddyOBBQ.com, and uh, we have him on from time to time to go over some great recipes, and he's also got a lot of great insight. He's a competitor as well uh, out there in Des Moines, Iowa. What? John, uh, what? Boise, Idaho, dude. Oh, whatever. Boise, Idaho. You know, Des Moines, Iowa is really where I was wishing you were at tonight. I thought you were on location, too. Boise, Idaho, a hotbed, a veritable hotbed of competition, barbecue, and grilling. Uh, John, first thing is first. You know, I love your recipes. You're constantly in there. Before we get into one of the recipes I wanted to talk about, as a guy who, you know, not necessarily makes a living, but has your internet uh, presence online for recipes, how did, I'm always marveled by the cookbook authors and these food, but how are you coming up with these recipes? Where does the uh, creativity kind of spawn and you're able to kind of keep coming up with something new to put up there and post on your blog to keep it fresh? Well, actually, that's a very good question. And uh, the short and easy answer is I have no idea. They just kind of come to me. I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but that's actually how it happens. I mean, the, one of the most recent recipes is a classic example. I posted a panini-style muffaletta. I was on my way home from work. The girls were out caroling with the Girl Scouts. I needed to come up with something to feed them. And I always try to kind of go outside the box a little bit, probably to a fault. And uh, I just happened to recall a recipe I'd seen Chef Ann Burrell do on Food Network on video online. And so I just kind of took that as a starting point of inspiration. And I literally, as my blog post talks about, I walk through the aisles of the store and the, the, the recipe literally just kind of takes on a life of its own and kind of develops itself as I go. And so I get inspiration online. I get it on TV. I get it through cookbooks. Um, just a, a, all kinds of places where I get inspiration. So I, and then my brain just kind of takes over from there. So uh, that's probably about the best answer I can give you. John Dawson from PatioDaddyOBBQ.com joining us. Now, John, as the, as the recipe is kind of organically growing within you, and, and perhaps this is a better way of looking at it, when I'm walking down the aisles of a, a grocery store, it never occurs to me that if I'm looking at something that this could be the beginning of a recipe. Is it innately like a gift that you and all these other foodies have that you're seeing stuff and you're constantly thinking in your mind, well, I see that this thing over here and this other aisle might work, and here's some jam, and here's some uh, you know uh, some type of cheese, and this might go good together. And you're just gonna, regardless of you know how it's gonna look, you see it in your mind, finish maybe, but until you get home and actually put it to fire, uh, whether it be on the grill or in the stove, uh, is it really kind of a, a, a crapshoot on if it's actually gonna work out or not? Very much a crapshoot. Um, I, I will say that I think the real genesis of it is just just basically a creative mind and then a desire to to kind of come up with something new. I mean, being a food blogger, I have to have. I mean, I have a I have to have content, 
right? So the, in the back of my mind, and it's not an, an oppressive kind of thing. It's just, hey, I got to post something this week. What am I going to post? And I literally start my week thinking, okay, I need at least one post this week. I got to do something. I got to do something that I haven't done before. And I got to, you know, I can't use the same meat I used last week. I got to do something different, you know, and then there's holidays that get thrown in like Thanksgiving and whatever that makes it a little easier. But generally it's just, okay, what am I going to blog this week? And then that kind of is the starting point. And then from there on, I'll go read cookbooks just in my average daily life. I'll be flipping through cooking magazines and cooking catalogs. Uh, Like for example, this torch steak that you want to talk about came up. I saw just a mention of espresso and chipotle somewhere in a catalog, and my brain said, that could be a rub. Well, okay, great. You got a rub. What are you going to put it on? What are you, how are you going to cook it? What are you going to do? And so this weekend, I'm going to the store, and I see some carne asada, and I'm like, hey, I've never done carne asada before. Hey, what about that chipotle espresso rub? And then the torch thing was actually inspired by you and your last week's show where you guys were talking about reverse sear. So I kind of... It's just an amalgamation of a whole bunch of different stimuli and input and creativity that just kind of, in the end, comes out as a recipe. So I don't know if that's what you're after, but that's how it goes down, basically. John Dawson is our guest. All right, John, so obviously you dovetail nicely into the main uh, subject matter tonight, which is uh, you kind of termed it the MacGyver steak. And again, some of that being spawned off of the Finney method. Uh, I don't know if that's technically the correct term, but it's the term I live by or the reverse sear method. Uh, so give us kind of an idea or a breakdown of what the recipe entails more or less, and uh, we'll kind of break it down from there. Okay, well, as I alluded to, um, I had been inspired by this Chipotle espresso combination, and I'm always about different flavor combinations. So I thought, well, what can I do to make this a rub? So Uh, It's a really simple rub. It's just got dark brown sugar, some kosher salt, some instant espresso, and and various kinds of chilies in it, ancho and chipotle and some cumin. And then, like I said, the next thing is, okay, what are you going to put it on? Well, I had never done carne asada, so I thought, okay, what if I got this stuff? And then I remembered something about Alton Brown doing dry aging, and I thought, okay, well, these are really thin steaks, so I can do a really quick dry age on them. So I took his process where he just basically puts them on a, a rack covers them with paper towels and lets them dry age. So I rubbed them first, put them on a rack, dry aged them, and then I literally cooked them with, I put them in the oven just long enough to take the chill off of them. And then I cooked them with a torch right on my cooktop (laughs) and uh, chopped it up and made soft tacos out of it. The family went nuts. And then I thought, okay, well, this is a great rub. I wonder how it'd be on a steak. So the next day I'm in the store and what do I see? I see these little five ounce pre-cut, pre-bacon wrapped, five-ounce Angus tenderloin steaks. Hey, I wonder how those will work. They were, yeah, it was like eight bucks for two of them. I grabbed them, threw them in the basket, went home, did the same process on them, except I put them in the oven, got them up to 125 at 170 degrees, and then I just torched the living daylights out of them, which is what you can see on the Barbecue Brethren site, and <laughs> tried it. And and that's where a failure came in because that the same rub that worked great on a little quarter-inch thick piece of round steak just was way too overpowering on a dainty five-ounce tenderloin. It was just too much of a bold flavor for that kind of dainty of a steak. It doesn't have a lot of beefy flavor to it. So lesson learned, works great on beefy steaks, not so good on wimpy steaks. So. Um, It was just an, you know, I haven't even put it up on my blog yet because it was literally just an experiment. 
And the good folks over at the Barbecue Brethren are always great about giving you honest feedback and constructive feedback. So I threw it up there, and and uh, the rest is kind of history. So it's kind of a work in progress. I won't even call it a recipe at this point. So as you look forward to kind of make it more of a consistent, not fail, but win, do you see a particular cut of meat that it's going to be working best on on a consistent basis? I would really, really love to try this process on a cowboy ribeye, being that, you know, it's just a bone-in ribeye that's maybe Frenched. Looks like a big tomahawk. Some people call them tomahawk steaks. I would really like to try it on that. And what's really cool about the rub is uh, several people have asked me, so what's the rub taste like? Well, the cool thing is, is even though I cooked it in an oven and then with a torch, it tastes like I took it off a grill. So I don't know if it was just a combination of this, you know, 2,000 degrees or whatever it is of flame and then the espresso and the caramelized sugar or what it was, but it, you literally couldn't tell if that, that I didn't take it off of a grill. I mean, it had that grilled, smoky, outdoor flavor to it. So it was kind of a kind of a success wrapped in a failure, if you will. So, And there you have it from December the 8th, 2010, the best moments of the Barbecue Central show in 10 minutes or less. Please head on over to CrawfordsBBQ.com Check out their complete line of awesome pit products. Use the coupon code GREG at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's GREG, G-R-E-G. Until next time, on the best moments of the Barbecue Central show in 10 minutes or less, I am your host, John Solberg. I look forward to talking to you again soon.